And welcome to another episode of the Sartorial Geek Podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I'm your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance, coming at you one more time. And instead of jumping right into the download, we have a special treat for you today. I actually have a guest. And this person is probably someone you've seen before on my Instagram feed or just an Instagram in general. It is the man, the legend, Harry, a.k.a. Bishop Cosplay. Harry, how you doing today? <laughs> Good today, man. How you doing, fam? I'm doing very, very well. Now, let's jump right into the download. Now, this week's download is, if you've listened to this episode before, you know that about 95% of what I recommend is either an Xbox game with gold or a Game Pass game because, frankly, I'm cheap. Anyway, <laughs> this week is we're all about ghouls and ghosts with the month of October with upcoming Halloween. Um, Microsoft and Capcom have partnered together to give us Resident Evil Code Veronica X as a games with gold. So remember, if you do have Xbox, was it Xbox Live Gold or even Game Pass Ultimate or just Game Pass, you get to keep this game. And one of the beauties about the 360 games and the Xbox games that they give away for free, they're yours. They are not, you need it with gold. You can continue to play these games if gold is not um, still on your system. So just remember that as well. You actually own this game. But if you're not familiar with Code Veronica, Code Veronica is, uh, in many respects, the bastard child of the Resident Evil uh, saga. It is uh, a game that originally was released on the Dreamcast, one of the best systems ever. <laughs> and yeah, it is, it is, uh, it finds Claire Redfield in her own story. And it really, at the time of its release, was head and shoulders the best, the best Resident Evil game that they've released. Graphically speaking, they updated a lot of stuff for Resident Evil 1 and 2 at that time. And for whatever reason, Capcom tends to forget that it exists. I am, as I've said before, I am not a humongous fan of Resident Evil as far as gameplay, but I love the story. And this is definitely one I would love to see a remaster like Resident Evil um, 2 and 3 and the upcoming remaster or remake of Resident Evil 4. So if you have Xbox Live, um, Gold, or Game Pass, Definitely pick this one up before it's not available. And it's the 17th now, and it's available until the end of the month. Harry, now, back in the day, did you ever play Resident Evil Code Veronica? I was never a big Resident Evil fan. You know, it was one of those things where I looked at it. It, it had it had its following, and um, I was good for it. it like, you know, people enjoyed it. People needed a good horror game. And Resident Evil pretty much set the standard for a lot of the stuff that we see out there now, such as your Silent Hills and, you know, kind of kind of like your Alan Wakes as well. I mean, Re Resident Evil, it definitely filled in a spot that really needed to be filled in for video games when it came to horror games. And again, you know, even though I wasn't into it, I definitely didn't stop anybody else from like, hey, you know, if that's your game, that's your game. And right. oddly enough, while you're speaking on that, I want to throw this out there as well. Um, and it's funny because even though I'm not in the horror games or zombie games in particular, um, if you got Game Pass, definitely need to check out uh, Back for Blood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Back for Blood. Yeah, we talked about last week and, you know, you and I have played and that is one. If, if you are definitely into... Uh, 
if you ever play Left 4 Dead, this is the game for you. And not just that, because of Game Pass, and it's funny because, uh, not to diverge too much, I had someone ask about what I recommend Back for Blood. Um, and to say this in the nail, and it's weird, I am I'm very picky about what I would pay $60 for. Right. Is Back for Blood worth $60? I don't know, um, frankly. And maybe it's Game Pass has got me jaded with that, but it definitely comes off as a, a game as a service. So I'm more, more than happy to pay for Game Pass. Or so in this case, I'm, I'm not really paying for Game Pass, but that's another story. Uh, but I, I would definitely say Back for Blood is a great game to play. You've definitely had a lot of fun with it. Um, I would say if you are buying it outright, if you're paying sixty dollars for it, buy the hard copy. That's just the way I feel about it. Your, your miles may vary. Yeah, that way. Your miles may, may vary. So you you may get your sixty dollars worth out of it right now. You may not, but I would definitely say this is a game I would wait on for a discount just because. But, but I would say this definitely, if nothing else, this is a co-op game of co-op games. I mean, there have been, like, games that have come out where, like, well, yes, you and three or four other people are going to get on and play. But the bottom line with this game that I really enjoy is the fact that it is a game that you really want to play with your friends. Because teamwork definitely counts. If you want to get um, from level to level, teamwork counts in this game. You don't want to play this with, with someone that's like a lone wolf player or a Rambo player because you're not going to get far. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah. So those are our picks this week. We are Resident Evil Code Veronica and again, going back to Back for Blood. Again, we really love the game. It's a fun game to play. But again, it is a co-op of co-ops. Your single play experience is, is really not going to be that great. It wasn't that great with Left 4 Dead. Not. Because nobody played Left 4 Dead with playing single player. So no one is playing Back for Blood for Left for single player either. So that's the download right. for this week. Now let's get into short takes. And we have two two probably the biggest movie releases in the past two weeks uh, to go over. And I'm going to let Harry take the first one, and I'm going to take the second one. The first one is the new James Bond film. Harry, take it away. Okay, so No Time to Die. Um, it's the finale of the Daniel Craig saga. You know, well, Daniel Craig's take on the James Bond saga. And um, I will say this. If um, you are a James Bond fan, you're going to come out there feeling some kind of way because there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to digest. And then the thing is, um, it's definitely one of those movies where you have had to know what's going on in the other films because a lot of bits and pieces, especially from Casino Royale and Spectre are at play here. And I don't want to get too much to the plot because again, we're trying to just keep it short, but I came out pretty satisfied and, the way that it ended, it was it was a bittersweet ending. Um, and then I guess the big thing that a lot of people are wondering is because there is a black female who's taking on the 007 role, um, it kind of changed up the mythos where we've always been led to believe, you know, James Bond was 007. But, you know, we find out that the 007 designation is just that it's a designation. And the younger lady, I, I forget what her name is. I can look it up right quick. But the, uh, I would say I was kind of um, two ways about her performance in the movie because, you know, on one hand, I don't think 
honestly, she got enough screen time. But then again, <laughs> it's, it, this wasn't her movie. And um, the little bit of time that she did get, it was physical. It was brutal. And um, I really liked what they did with the role for her. And um, I'm looking at it as if they decide to move forward with her in the role. Um, and I think what was her name? Lashana Lynch. I, th- I think that was the actress's name. I think but it's it's decide- Lashana Latasha, one of the two. Yeah. But if they decide to move on in with her in the role, huh? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's one of those things where, sure, you know, we would love to see more female-driven roles, but how does it play out? You know, because at the same time, we're looking at, we still want to see someone like, say, Idris Elba take over the role of Bond. You know, we've we've been clamoring for that for years, but I don't know. We're at a crossroads now. You know, Idris Elba, we, we could probably get um, maybe one or two movies from him or you know we might move in an entirely different direction but um again needless to say um i liked it and then wait a minute the the, the villain because i mean bond's movies are always predicated around the bill, villains um malik remy eh, eh. <laughs> that that's kind of felt about him as a villain i mean uh, again the overarching plot i like him as a villain, not so much. Gotcha. And I guess let's see if if I had to rate it though on the scale of one to five stars, with five being the highest, I'm giving it a three point five. It's watchable. Okay. All right. Well, I will say it, it's weird because I grew up being a humongous Bond fan. I, I loved um, every Bond movie. I mean, growing up, like something we did, we as like my mom and I, we watched Bond movies. Uh, I loved Pierce Brosnan. Goldeneye. Goldeneye was the first one I'd ever seen in the theater. I didn't see Casino Royale. Like none of of um, Daniel Craig's films I've seen in the theater. I can't even say I've seen all of them. There was just something about Ooh. the way. Like I've seen Spectre. I've seen um, Quantum of Solace. And what was the last one? Skyfall. I've seen Skyfall. Skyfall. Yes. So yeah, I, and, and it's something I don't know. It never. The good it has never hit right with me for some reason. I, I can't put my finger exactly on it, but it's, it's interesting, especially a lot of points you make, um, as far as especially having watched all the other films in this series. You know, it's hard to believe it's been 15 years since Casino yeah. Royale came out. It's I know. Really crazy, um, in that. But let's let's go from that to another movie of a beloved franchise that uh, the view is going to be very, very, very similar. In this case, um, Halloween Kills came out this past week. And um, I watched it on uh, on Peacock. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I will pay that 4.99 to upgrade from Pe- free Peacock to watch Halloween Kills because the Halloween from 2018 was awesome. I saw it at the theater. I really want to see Halloween Kills in the theater. I'm glad I didn't. I, I would have been greatly disappointed. And I'll say this. I've saw reviews of the movie beforehand. I take reviews like a grain of salt. Every review I've seen, though, they were right on the money with how this movie feels. Uh, first and foremost, uh, just getting to the good parts, the kills were great. Michael Myers is a beast, and how the how the chore- they choreographed it, the gore. Uh, there were a lot of Easter eggs for Halloween fans, like that they had a silver silver shamrock mask 
from Halloween three in there, which you saw in the trailer, which I love because Halloween three is not mainline Halloween, but I right. love that movie. I've, I've come to love that movie as like through my twenties, thirties and, and now forties. Goodness gracious. But, um, it feels like a, now this is one reviewer's quote. It feels like an extended mid credit scene to Halloween kills. And that's exactly what it feels like because the strength of Halloween kills was Jamie Lee Curtis. Her portrayals, Lori Strode, her interdynamics with her family and trying to let them know the boogeyman is coming back. That was what was the best part of that movie. And then you had the ultimate confrontation with Michael Myers at the end. In the sequel, you have the best part of your movie is sidelined for most of the movie. So you're focusing on all these other characters that I could care less about. And then they go, they get all angry and worked up and they do stupid stuff. And you know what happens? They get killed. They die. Exactly. <laughs> so they the, die. the whole movie was pretty much like that. And outside of Michael Myers killing people, it was, it was dumb. It was redundant. It was pointless. The only thing it does and it did right is it set up Halloween ends, which is the ultimate showdown between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. And somebody's going to die in that movie. And I will be there for and that. You know, the crazy part when you think about it, though, is when you think about the fact that this was just a setup movie for the next movie, which will probably and hopefully will be the last one, is when you think about the movie prior to this, they could have ended it there. They, could, they really could have ended it there because the way that movie was, you know, you find out that years later, you know, Lori's living as a recluse. She has a family, you know, she, you know, she traumatized the daughter. She's, you know, all these things happen only for Michael Myers to all of a sudden show back up. Like, look, I told you. <laughs> and then for everybody to band together to fight Michael, get him in the house, the house burns down. I'm thinking like, okay, we're done. We, we, we burned him up in the fire. You know, maybe, maybe we'll get lucky. We find the body. No, he's fine. I'm like, come on, come on. Really? <laughs> so it's like they're they're trying to like really milk this franchise for what it is, and it, it's like the reviews for this are night and day. I'm I'm seeing some of my friends really tear into this movie, and I'm thinking, okay, if Halloween was brilliant, this movie's horrible. They have to bring it for this last one because um, if if this is to be the end which I hope it is, if this is to be the end, they, they got to go in hard. And, and Michael has to die like the definitive death for this to be over and done with. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's part of that's part of this movie's problem is that the Halloween was so good. Like it really was like it was so like nobody expected it to be that good. Um like really, and I think you you're coming with a mediocre at best sequel that really is. And don't no, no, get me wrong, Halloween Kills is better than Ace Two O and better than Res- Resurrection. Those are terrible. Which isn't hard. It's, it's <laughs> not hard, hard, but I'm just saying that, like, if you look at mainline Halloween, it's still better than a lot of films that they put out in in the 2000s. Um, is it better than the Rob Zombie ones? I've only seen the first one. Eh. 
I don't know. Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie's unique. I'll put it that way. And what he does yeah. with, with, the, with the franchise, but it's better than a lot of the sequels that came out, like four, five, six, whatever, whatever, whatever those are. So it's better than a lot of those. And it does take chances. And I, I, I give the filmmakers that. I wrote up a review for uh, New Release Wednesday. It'll be out on Webster Style by the time you hear this as well. And it, it really like they do take chances. They do try to do some different things. But the characters they have, you don't care about them. The only characters you care about are Lori and, by extension, her her daughter and her um, granddaughter. That's it. Those right. are the only people you care about. No one else you care about. And you are happy when they die. Every single one of them, you are happy because they were filled with, at some point, so much hubris about being mm-hmm. able to take them down. It's like, y'all got what y'all deserved. Like seriously, like right. I don't feel yeah. bad for you. You're dead. You're dead. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So again, I, I would say Halloween Kills. If I'm giving it out of five, I, I would say a three, two point five to three. If you're a Halloween fan, you're going to enjoy it. Like I enjoyed it for what it was, but it I didn't enjoy it. Well, I should say it is not as good as Halloween. Not in the least bit. And if you're going and expecting something at the same caliber, you're going to be greatly disappointed. Which is crazy when you think about the fact it has the same director and the same screenwriters on the job as well. That that's why I find this so amazingly crazy that they fell so far. Exactly. So that's why I said they they have to bring it with Halloween ends. Halloween ends has to. It's 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 it, it, it's got to be the crescendo. Yeah, this is got to be the series. It's got to be the crescendo. You know, if if Jamie Lee Curtis is is the focus again, and especially after the way Halloween Kills ended, she definitely be the focus. I think they'll have an easy job because, I mean, Jamie Curtis has been a Lee Curtis has been around for years, and has she ever had a bad film? Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. Mm. I mean, you might go back to like the early stuff, like Prom Night and some of the slasher fix, but like when she got to be like really good, like. A well, fish, you know a fish car wandering afterwards. Like, does she really make? Like, is she really bad in a movie? Maybe that's a better question. No, no. But I mean, you got to consider the fact that her being the daughter of Janet Lee. You know, how often do you see you know two generations of of actresses, you know, become famous before the horror movies that they made? Yeah, not just. Don't remember her dad is Tony Lee Curtis. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, she got that double blank, but you're right. And, oh, did you see what she wore at the premiere for Halloween, um, Halloween Kills? No. She wore, she dressed up like her mom in Psycho. Stop. Yes. Wig, dress, everything. <laughs> that was a great homage. But like I said, I, Halloween ends, it just has to be better. Because if they're putting that weight on Jamie Lee Curtis... She can carry it has that movie. To end. Yeah, it, but it, yeah, it has to end. Like really, like it has to end. They let to have Halloween language for like a decade before they bring it back in some other way, shape, or form. And it'll probably be a total reimagining again because if they do it right, there is no continuation from Halloween ends. There, there is none. You know what? I, I really want them to do it like Friday the Thirteenth. If it's over, it's over. Because right. I mean, notice we haven't really had anything since Jason versus Freddy. And speaking of, we haven't had anything since the one time that they did Friday. I mean, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street with um, uh, what's the dude's name? The uh, guy who played Roy Wait, Roy that, that movie was horrible. That movie was absolute yeah. trash. Let's see, but yeah. the, see, I can't say you can't really lump that in because the only reason we haven't had a Friday Thirteenth is illegal. That's it. That two thousand nine 
whatever it was, that was a fun movie. And it exactly mm-hmm. what it needed to be. You, you don't need to know anything about about any back history. It's just Jason, he's live again, he's killing teenagers. That's all you need That's with it. it. You don't need the back history, back history or the lore of that. I think one of the things with Halloween, and this has become a really long short take, is that Michael Myers, they they built up such a lore for him. And I think that's part of the problem when they continue to bring him back. Because um, I I saw Halloween 4 and 5 a very, very long time ago. They put a lot of lore mm-hmm. and backstory, but a lot of that carried over into the subsequent sequels that they had. And one of the great things about this series is that since the first one, at least Halloween from 18, they retconned everything back to the original Halloween. So Halloween 2 didn't happen right. before. And that was, they got rid of all that baggage, got rid of all that lore, and really had it as, you know, what this is in this time, in this place, based on what happened 40 years ago, which yeah. was great. And that's the thing. They need to keep it as it ends so that they, there's they no lore. Right. Right. And, they need and, to keep it clean and, exactly. and, and let it end. Because really quick, kind of di- diverging a tiny bit, like, for instance, now, you know, there, there's a new Chucky series that's out. And yes. I, I get that, you know, sometimes, you know, recycling stuff is great. But I'm looking at this generation and I'm saying, like, do you guys, like, really understand why, like, 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 like what Chucky meant to us? Because Chucky was part of our zeitgeist. We had, like, you know, the, the my, my little, um, what was it, My Little Buddy? Um, toy, my buddy, and Teddy Ruxpin, yeah, mm-hmm. my buddy, all that, yeah. Like a lot of people, not going to catch that. Like, oh, cool, this talking dog. No, it was a lot more than that. It, people forget that when Chucky came out, that kept a lot of people from going out and buying the my buddy toy. It was a yep. big thing about that. Yeah, but you know what though? Just talking about the Chucky series and, and watching our first episode, it did a really great job. Not say caption as that that guys, but really talking about this doll as vintage and talking about like how yeah. big they were. Like I really enjoyed that. Just overall, like that whole episode, I like where they're going with that. I like what like Chucky still Chucky, but also just like Halloween, they're getting rid of a lot of crap for the series like The Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky and all those black comedy aspects. And really, I'm yeah. not sure. I haven't seen Curse of Chucky. Um, no, Cult of Chucky was the last. I'm seeing Curse or Cult, and I think they brought it back more to the mainstream horror. And I know Andy was involved in um, the last movie, Cult of Chucky, and I know he's involved in this series. So I don't know how much of those movies they're taking away, but I know like the Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, like all that's gone, like because Jennifer Tilly's characters in it as well. So they're they're really right. looking to like pick and prune the good parts from the history. And incorporating it into the show, and I'm I'm really liking that aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. You got it. All right. So that's a very extra long short takes. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation. A lot of big things, comic book wise, geek wise, blurred wise, have happened. Um, in the past two weeks, one of which has just happened with DC Fandom. And that's one of the reasons why Harry's on the call. Next one we're going to talk about this is going to be New York Comic Con, which Harry um, attended and cosplayed at. And we'll get his impressions and also just his his take on going to a con 
in COVID. Let's start off with DC fandom. <laughs> DC fandom did not disappoint this year. Uh, we saw a whole lot of things, and, and I will say, just to start, we have a whole list of things to talk about, but, uh, and Harry will, will know, I'm a milestone stan, and the fact that Blood Syndicate has been announced to return in 2022 was like the only thing I cared about from this DC fandom. And this is my thing about Blood Syndicate, and this, I, I talked about this somewhat last week when I talked about um, Superman being bisexual. This ain't new. Blood Syndicate, and this is the thing, Blood Syndicate was a little comic that could, that touched on everything, and I wouldn't say they could do what they wanted to because nobody was reading it, but they had, they dealt with homosexuality, they dealt with uh, body um, dysmorphism, aka, um, you know, transsexualism, you know, they, there were so many topics now we see all the time, and people are talking about, even me sometimes, like, hey, they just making this change because it's like, oh, it's, they ran out of ideas, not because they chasing the bandwagon, I don't I don't say that, but I think a lot of times a lot of these changes are made because they run out of ideas and what's the a new thing or a thing that'll get eyeballs um, to our book to do. I think that happens sometimes. I can't confirm that, but I do. But right. this is a book that did those things 20, 30 years ago. I'm not saying the 90s, right. Thank you. Right. The early way, way 90s. It was the quote, quote, cool thing to do. Right, and you dealt with those issues, and that's why I love that book so much. I, mean, I love that book. Icon is my favorite book and always will be. But that was my number two. I wasn't a big static fan back in the day. So the fact that they're bringing such blood syndicate out in this day and age, I can't wait to see what they do and how they how they can push the envelope with their storytelling. Because they got away with a lot of things back in the early 90s. I can only imagine what they do now. And outside of that with Milestone, I'll keep going with that. An animated movie that's going to be based on Hardway Year One, which incorporates a lot of the established Milestone characters. Like, I, this is what we've been wanting and yearning for, for for three decades, just about. Yeah, because, you know, you and I went to that uh, Milestone event in Baltimore years ago. <laughs> yep. We, we, you know, when we first started getting like a glimmer of hope, like, okay, well, well, Milestone is coming back. Well, you know, what form are they going to come back in? Are they going to do comics? Are they going to do movies? You know, what are they going to do? That's something we have been waiting for for like a long time. So to finally really see that DC is really serious about actually putting some meat and bones on the milestone side of things is it's great to see because, you know, you know, like I know, this is something that came about in the 90s that a lot of people kind of jumped off the mainstream comics for because we wanted to see more diversity. We wanted to see different characters and not just your average um, white male figures, white female supporting characters. We wanted to see a little bit of everybody, and that's what um, Wayne McDuffie had given us with the milestone um line and then when that just kind of disappeared you know that just kind of messed up a lot of people because it's like okay well where are we going to get these stories from and now seeing today that yes you know comic books have gotten more diverse it, it's good to see that but at the same time i think the the hard part for a lot of people is what we're not liking is when you're taking your mainstream characters like your Captain Americas, like, like your Thors, and you're making them, you know, into different, I guess you want to say, actors. Like, for instance, of course, you know, you, you have Sam Wilson. You know, you, you have uh, uh, Jane Foster taking over for Thor. I mean, that's all great. 
But we all know that the old story is that's only going to be temporary until that main character decides to come back. I mean, one of the big things this year was Tim Drake becoming Batman. Well, that's going to be fine until Bruce Wayne comes back. So when you have your milestone stuff, then you have characters and heroes that you don't have to worry about being transposed for a short time until that character comes back. These these are, to, to put a pun on it, iconic <laughs> characters. And um, these are actually stories that I would love to see, you know, DC, like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, start making the Milestone uh, Cinematic Universe and things like that. I don't want to get too far ahead because one of the things that we did get out of fandom is to see that DC start to take some baby steps in writing the ship with some of their um, um, cinematic franchises and, you know, getting things on board. Right, exactly. And, and speaking of, of that, let's talk about that Batman trailer. What did you think? I'm actually optimistic now. now. Now that I'm starting to see this and now that I'm starting to see a little bit more of how it's put together and if we could just do one Batman movie where we're not doing the Joker. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad we're not in this case, but I will tell you mm-hmm. this though. What impressed me the most is that, yo, the makeup and everything on Colin Farrell, I'm like, that doesn't look like Colin Farrell as at all. The penguin. I was like, I really sat there looking like, that is amazing. I'm like, did he gain weight? Is that all? Like, that is absolutely um, even the accent, I'm like, he doesn't get his his due as far as being a really good actor at times. I think it's because of some of his projects that he's chosen over right. the years. But man, I was I was impressed. I personally, it, it's weird. Like I'm not as high on it as I was, and let me tell you why. I'm partially tired of Batman movies as a whole, yeah. I was like, can you, can you do something else? It's like, okay, we had Ben Affleck. He was cool. I wish we could have gotten a, um, a standalone Ben Affleck right, movie, solo. Yeah. you know, really to really define that character outside of his appearances in the other movies. Okay. It's not going to happen. At least as far as we know, who knows, um, right. with what the future holds, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch it. It looks good. It, this may be blasphemy to, to some people, but I think that after Christopher Nolan really hit out the park, I think it's easy to do Batman. Because if you look at Batman and how he's evolved since then, it's the same character. It's just a different person playing it. And that dark and gritty has just changed slightly. I and, would kind of disagree. Okay. I, 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 would, I would disagree. It's, it's not easy because... He saw what happened with Batman in the 90s. How well, that's what I say from... after Christopher Nolan. After Nolan. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, because we, we saw what happened. So the thing of it is, it's not so much that it's easy. You you still got to have a hook. You still got to have, like, a really good story behind it. Because they do. You're right. The, 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 hard, the hard part is how many times can you reconstitute Batman? without falling back into the same old tropes. Well, we're going to talk about the origin because Lord knows if I see Pat Man's parents die in the alley one more damn time. Martha, <laughs> Martha. That, that's my thing. And it's like, okay, how many Batmans have we gotten and we've only gotten one Green Lantern film? I don't know let's, what you're talking about. Ask, what ask Green Lantern film? <laughs> what Green Lantern film? 
Exactly. That is my whole, whole <laughs> point. There's, and, and you know what? Let's let's call it for what it is. We're at a point now where you know the technology is the, the, the everything is there that anyone would ever need to say, hey, we could take Green Lantern and we can improve so much on that filth that came out 10, 15 years ago. We we could do so much better. Right. And I'm like, um, what what are we waiting on, people? Let's let's make that happen. You know, there there's still so many other characters in the DC universe, which if if you're ready to jump to it, we could talk about the Flash. Thank you. That's exactly what I was saying. When you're talking about Batman, <laughs> let's talk about the Flash. <laughs> now I, I will say this. I was um I haven't seen a Snyder cut yet. Yes, I know blasphemy. Uh but I, but I know they improved a lot on his character. Uh one of my biggest gripes with the original cut of the Justice League is that I hated the Flash. I hated I hated the suit. I hated the character that they portrayed in The Flash. And at that time of the Justice League coming out, it did not help that this is when the TV show was actually doing good and was a Mm -hmm. good portrayal of The Flash. So we had on TV a very realistic and excellent portrayal and excellent stories featuring The Flash between The Flash and Arrow. And then we get this version of The Flash and Justice League. And we're like, what is this crap? Right. So I understand a lot of that ship was righted in um, the Snyder Cut, and it looks like they're continuing to write that ship in this movie. It looks it looks really good. I'm, I'm hoping it, it I'll say this way. The trailer and again, nobody's seen the real movie, the full movie. But the trailer mm-hmm. looks like they're learning from Marvel in that you have these classic storylines. Let's take the best parts of these storylines and incorporate them into a new scenario. Same things kind of happen, but different outcomes, maybe different players, but you still take some of these same elements to make a, a new new tapestry, so to speak. Um, right. And that looks like what they're because, doing in The Flash. Yeah, because the one thing, well, there's actually two things I'm curious about. Thing number one, I'm almost curious as to find out what Batman is that that's going to make an appearance in the movie. Oh, is Michael anybody, Keaton. Oh really? Where have you been? Oh boy! It's Michael okay. Keaton. Yeah, he's he's back. He's you know, Batman. Yes, they've been talking about this for months. Okay, I, I I totally missed that. Well, that's cool. That that is cool then. But then, see, the other thing is this, and this is this is the thing that I've kind of been pissed about that DC really didn't capitalize on. It's like okay, DC has had a more solid slate of shows that they've never bothered to connect to the movies. And that's the thing that's just, and I think that that's kind of where we're going with the flash It's like, okay, you got this flash television show that's doing so damn well. And you're just not going to link it to this, this justice league movie that you have in. Oh, we'll link him in later on television show to finally make that. I'm like, to me, that was almost a no brainer. Like, Hey, you got this thing going on. Like, like put it all together. people. <laughs> Right. Well, I'll say this, at least with the Flash movie, and I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but since there are multiple right. Flashes, you, you never know if Greg Gunson's Flash is going to show up in this movie. Right. So that that's that's one thing. I, I am happy, though, that, it again, it seems like DC is riding the ship on their mm-hmm. movie. Like, they have a plan. That was the biggest thing. It was, it was like they either had a plan, well, they had a plan, but they had too many cooks in the kitchen. And that's what screwed everything up. And then everybody got blamed. Like Snyder got blamed. 
so-and-so got blamed. And the one of the things in getting to the business side of things, I'm, I'm hoping with this merger now with Discovery taking over um, Warner Media, and mm-hmm. I hope they really allow the film side really to make some good movies. And, it, and it's sad that the Suicide Squad bombed well. That bomb because of that whole day and date on HBO Max, in my opinion. I, I yeah. really think why. Yeah. Because Suicide Squad was great. It wasn't for everybody, but it was that, hey, we can do a really good DC movie. Hell, even going back to the first one, the first one could have been a really good movie. Is that that they came in after the fact and had somebody else edit David's Ayer's movie. Right. Right. Because I, I agree, because I felt like this, Suicide Squad that came out this year. I thought it was better than the first one. Oh yeah, definitely, D- definitely, Miles definitely. Better. Yeah, yeah. That's not hard to do. Like the, the first one, the editing killed that movie. I mean, the characters were good. I mean, you had some good actors, good portrayals. Even the story was generic. But again, how much of that would have been fixed if it was a movie today as had actually made rather than the movie they chopped up to fit a certain narrative and fit a certain music video vibe, which, which is what I read. So right. yeah, so with, with that, I, I I hope that they get the the ship righted uh, with that. And with that, I want to segue into the one DC movie that came out that I absolutely loved, and that was Shazam. Um, yeah. And with the new movie, Fear of the Gods looks great. The one of the things about Shazam is, and I'm sure you will probably somewhat agree with this, Shazam works because of Zachary Levi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and and those old school blurs like me, you remember Chuck after Chuck is like Chuck can do no wrong. He he is a geek's geek. And you can tell when he is in these roles, he is playing the hell of it. Even when he was in the Thor movies, he you can tell he loves every minute of this. So I get that. I, I get it. He is such a, a humongous 40 year old. or I think he's 40. He's a 30 year old kid. So he's perfect to play. Shazam, he's like a kid in a grown man's body. And because of his comedic timing, because of his ability to act, and how he interacts with the other characters in that movie, that was really the highlight in that original slate of DC movies. And the fact that they're coming back, and then they're coming back with, um, like, Diamond Hondra is coming back. Um, pretty much all the kids are coming back that still can because some of them have gotten older. But then to have villains of Helen Mirren and um, is it Selma Hayek is the other villain? I forget who the other I villain think is. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, she's just getting her comic book money uh, this year <laughs> between that and Eternals. But like that, that looks like a great premise, especially with a lot of the mythology and the Greek mythology and, and and whatnot they're bringing. It sounds like a good way to segue the kind of have Wonder Woman involved, even though I know it's not going to happen. But to touch on that, the Themyscira and what it'll be interesting to see. I really think Shazam is going to be that sleeper movie that really expands the DCEU. I, I don't I don't know if I would necessarily call it a sleeper though, because I think the original was a sleeper. And, you know, we've been in anticipation for this one for a while. So that's why I think this one really works. You know, it's like, okay, we saw what they did with part one. Part one was the sleeper. We know that there was a two coming. And anybody who's anybody, like, you know, if if you knew, it's like, okay, we're going to look for them to expand with this one. And from what we've seen, it's like, yeah, this is, this is what's going to work. What's going to work is, okay. We're going to expand the story. We're going to expand the characters. We're going we're going to take this from being like in 
pretty much one location, which was basically where Billy Batson grew up, and we're just going to expand on the, on the mythology because, in my eyes, it was a lot more popular than a lot of people would call it. And I mean, and it came out at the right time, too. It, ca- it came out at the right time. It didn't get too much overshadowed by anything else. It did what it was supposed to do. It, 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 to me, it did things that the original Aquaman did do. Right. And I like that movie too. I like that. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, that's one of those, uh, the Aquaman, <laughs> it, it's hard to get excited for Aquaman because of those other issues that are going on around some of the cast members in the film. <laughs> and yeah. just the hubbub about that. It's like, it's hard to get excited because I'm like, I, as a man and knowing some of those circumstances, like, yo, how does she still have a job? If, if this was a dude, he would have been fired with quickness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like, that bothers me, but in all overall, like it's great seeing the full black man, the costume. Um, I mean, yes. Aqu- Aquaman was like their, their big hit. It was the one that showed people wanted to see DC movies. Um, and that's, that's great. And I'm glad it was. And Jason Momoa, I, I've loved, I loved him, but I thought he's a good actor. So it was really great. Um, again, he's like a, 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 a blurred, blurred. He's in all this stuff. And you can tell he enjoyed every single minute. So they, that was perfect casting. They saw, you know, I'll see Aquaman too. Am I like highly excited for like Amsterdam? No, personally speaking, that's just me. And it's not even because he has other extenuating issues. It's just because in general, Aquaman was good, but Aquaman wasn't one. I'm like, oh, I'm looking forward to a sequel. Just mm-hmm. as me personally. So it should, it should be good. Yeah, it, it should, should be work. good. It should work. I haven't done about that. But we talked about Shazam's. We can't talk about Shazam and not talk about Black Adam. The movie that was yeah. announced before the DCEU even existed. I think 2007 is when they first said that they were going to do this movie. Way back when. Yes. So it's um you got a teaser trailer and again and I and people listening to this podcast know I I have I am a Marvel person as far as what I read and what I consumed over the years for the most part. Um, I read DC periods of time. Like I was really into Superman after the death of Superman storyline. Um, got a Superman here, there, but I wasn't into any other DC proper books like that. So I, I know things um, on, on a tangent peripheral, but I'm not a, a big person. So I am not a big, Oh, I know black Adam is. I love black Adam. Yada, yada, yada. I'm not that person. Um, so right. I'm, I, I'm not, yeah, so I'm, I'm not like, I don't know that much about him other than fact he's like a villain slash anti-hero. And I think they played up on that, that whole thing in the trailer with him killing an archaeologist soldier or whatever. I mean, it look, the movie looks good. I mean, I, look, this is the rock we talk about here. Say what you say about his acting and some of his movie choices. He, if you get a rock movie or movie star in the way, it's a spectacle. And that's what mm-hmm. you go in knowing. It's a spectacle. Right. You're going to have fun. It's going to be one of those movies where you're going to walk away satisfied because you know what it is because it's The Rock. Period. And again, much like Momoa and Levi, well, I wouldn't say Levi's a blurred for obvious reasons, but he's a blurred blurred. <laughs> right. So you know he's coming to this Right, because, you know, for years, it's like, okay, well, they've been talking about this, this Black Adam movie. It's like, yeah, 
it'll, it'll happen shortly before hell freezes over. Now it's it's more of a reality. Like yeah, now it's really in anticipation. Because like I said, I think you know the, the folks over at Warner Brothers and, and and DC is like yeah, we got a lot of catching up to do. We want to get some of that money that Marvel has been making for for nearly twenty years. We we got to like really start getting on our P's and Q's about getting some of these characters out here that we've been talking about. It's like, we've, we've been, uh, you know, teasing these characters for a while. It's like, we, we got to get up off our butts and do this thing. Because I mean, you know, now it, it the, the stakes are higher now because it's not just about movie properties. It's, it's about, you know, the streaming and everything because it's like, you know, HBO is where you're going to find all the DC stuff. Disney's where you're going to find all the Marvel stuff. And, you know, there's like so many things out there that both of those companies could be doing. And it's like if you're trying to make money both in the theaters and on televisions, you need to get those properties out there so that way people will will recognize these characters as like, okay, well, I mean, if if we want to jump real quick about the Eternals, I don't want to take away from DC fandom. I'm going to call it like, like I see it as like the Eternals was cool back in the days it's like it was one of those kind of you know it was one of those comics like it was an offshoot or everything but marvel is is taking these little characters that you didn't hear about back in the day and they're blowing them up because i mean the eternals is being touted as the movie that's going to explain why the marvel universe is and then likewise when you come back to dc you know go back to the um to to shazam and black adam and most of those should start tying in as to why some of the things in the DC cinematic universe happened as well. Because, I mean, it was briefly touched upon in Wonder Woman. It was briefly touched upon in Shazam. These are why some of these things are going on. So it's like, start putting those pieces together. You got the money to do it. You got the fortitude. You got the wherewithal. And they're decades worth of stories. That's the biggest thing decades worth of stories that you guys could be telling <laughs> tell them take our money please <laughs> exactly you know much like you know you talk about the eternals and i've mentioned this podcast before the eternals um have not they're not like oh i need to see this because they are they're not a property i was ever really emotionally invested in and oddly enough literally my first comics they ever remember receiving was an arc son of thunder a copy of Arc Sun and Thunder from DC and a copy of some Eternals comic book. Like those are the first comics I ever got when I was like six, seven years old. Mm. Um, and you looked at it like, eh, okay. Like I remember more about their Arc Sun and Thunder than the Eternals. I'll put it that way. Right. Um, so, but I, I say that to say now with how things are being marketed, I'm like, oh, okay, this looks interesting. It looks something I like, I want to see. Like Marvel, Marvel is doing, has perfected how to reach the audience and to make you care about the characters, even the ones that you've never heard of. DC has to learn how to do that because they, they have been failing with their Mm A-listers. But this this is also why you ask, like, why do we need another Batman movie? That is the question. It's like, because the question is really this, should we be quote unquote, wasting time doing another Batman movie when you could take yet another character that no one has really heard of and make them into a household name. We know who Batman is. How many, how many more times can we tell that story 
as opposed to taking the same time and energy and say, well, we're, we're going to take we're going to take a character like, say, for instance, I'm just going, I'm stretching here, like a Batman villain, like Calendar Man, or like this is why Calendar Man exists, something like that. No, I agree. But one thing about Batman, Batman is a license to print money. Batman is a license. Yeah. Batman is the one license to print money that they have. I can't even say that about Superman. And, and mind you, I will say this: I've changed my tune on Man of Steel in the in the years afterwards. Um, so I've I've grown to really enjoy and like that movie more than I did when I initially saw it way back when. I've I've always liked Man of Steel. I, mean, I've, I've, me. <laughs> I thought Man of Steel was like two movies in one. I loved. Kevin Costner's portrayal of of Jonathan Kent, mm-hmm. that was one of his best performances ever. And Kevin Costner had some great, like, I felt him as a father. I felt him. I felt right. him. When he put his hand up for him to not help him, that tornado's open That's away. exactly what I was thinking about. Like, That's exactly. I, I had a tear because that, that like, that emotion and then even um, Cavill's emotion, like, I felt that. It's him as Superman or that, I think it was the Zard part that got me. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of how that story played out at the time turned me off because it's Zod. It is it is very hard to let go of your idea of what Zod is after Terrence Stamp. And I, right. I think that I, I had to let go of my own biases toward the character in the film to really grow to him. And I think that's, that's part of the problem with, with Superman and, and Superman Returns, and we're getting off track when we bring it back in a minute. Superman mm-hmm. Returns is, just really killed it because like, that, that was literally... I have never been so disgusted leaving a movie in my life that I, <laughs> I cursed when leaving. Like The young lady I was dating at the time took me and took me to the special <laughs> fancy theater, and I was so pissed that she thought she did something wrong when we left. And I had to mm-hmm. tell her, no, it was the movie. And the fact that it wasn't even Brandon Roth. It was... um. Dude is Lex Luthor, and I don't know why I forget his name now, but you know who he is and what he's been doing. Um, okay, this, just, Spacey? Yes. Just that characterization of Lex Luthor, I'm like, yo, this is the dumbest harebrained scheme I've ever heard in my life. This is really what Lex Luthor is doing in 2006? Really? See, to sum it up really quick, the problem with Superman Returns was for them to wait nearly 30 years at that point to bring Superman back to the screens, it was playing it super safe. They wanted to give something for everybody to, like, okay. It, they wanted to get the nostalgia for the people that remember the old Superman movies, and then they wanted to capture the new audience, like, you know, people that, you know, all they remember the Superman movies but just saw them on television and just never saw them in the theaters. That was the biggest problem to me with Superman Returns because, yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, we're still chasing after land. <laughs> Come on. And then when you get Man of Steel and you just get the physicality of, of – of, you know, Kal-El going up against his fellow Kryptonians, like, this was the movie that we wanted to see. Now, if you can hit us with a Superman movie where he's going up against Brainiac, I'm good. Oh, I agree. That's that's like the Holy Grail of Superman movies right there. And one thing about Superman Returns, outside of the, the fact that they made Superman a baby daddy. I'm like, I, I come on now. This, this is American yeah. Boy Scout. And, like, and, really? This is what they and a like. Creeper. Really? Yeah. And a creeper Superman baby daddy. It, it was so out of character. So they, 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 those things in Luthor was like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm done with let's, that. Let's act like that movie doesn't exist. The same way Look, like but I will say this though, I am, gl- I am glad Brandon Rolfe got to play Superman and do it right. 
before everything was said and done. I'm happy for him in that regard. Uh, so that's yeah. it for DC. Two quick things I'm excited about. Um, Young Justice is like the only thing I'm actually going to subscribe to HBO Max to see because uh, I've, I've, that series is great. If you not watch Young Justice, you need to. Um, that is probably one of the best, not just DC animated projects they've done in the past 10 years, but probably some of the best p- depictions of the characters they've done, period, right. in the past 10 years if not longer. Um, and then we talked about Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, in that trailer. I will say this. John Cena has evolved as an actor, and surprisingly enough, we can see him in this role. I will say this, and based on the trailer, and this is my opinion, I think this could be his breakout role. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. I, he, he's funny, and, and if it's anything like the, like the Suicide Squad movie, he... He will really, and especially with the ensemble cast they have around him and what I saw from the trailer, this really could be a breakout role for him. And not saying he's not getting roles now, I think he could really be that next level star after this series. He's going the same way as The Rock did because originally John Cena was just going to be another one of those guys who's going to be making these you know, C-listed movies like, you know, I'm going to do The Marine and I'm going to do this. Just make some some movies that you would never remember him for, but he's really starting to get to the point where, you know, like Rock, like Dave, like Dave Bautista, he's really starting to pick his roles very carefully because, I mean, you know, just like everyone else, he's realizing that, hey, you know, my future's not with wrestling and if I can make it on the screen and be a double threat where people, you know, rec- you know recognize me from my wrestling and my uh, screen time, you know, he could hit it big. He could really hit it big. And I'm liking the stuff that I'm seeing come out of him. I mean, one of the movies that um, he was in that I wasn't sure where it was going to go. Um, oh, what was it? It was the flick that came out this year. Uh, give me one Some other one with, with Lil Rel? Yeah. Okay. That... See- I haven't Joy. watched it. Best Friends or whatever it's called. I haven't seen it yet, but it looks hilarious. That it's on my list. So hilarious. He's it, a great comedic totally, actor. I'll, John Cena has great comedic timing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm not even going to front. It was really, really, it was a good movie. Vacation Friends, that's what it was called. It was hilarious. I mean, and I would, I would tell anybody, like, it's, it's not what you would expect. And, you know, his role was the, was the irritating um, friend, Ron. And it worked. It, it it really worked. And the same thing where, you know, he, he does um, Peacemaker in Suicide Squad. He brings that same kind of thing to this television show. And it's, it's going to work for him. It will really work for him. I, I, I see him doing some, some good stuff. I totally agree. Now, let, let me talk about some misses from this. And I'm not even, I'm not touching on any of the DC TV stuff. Because one, outside of Young Justice, I watch nothing. So nothing, I can't, don't care about Titans or, or anything with the CW at the moment. Um, I especially uh, don't care about Batwoman, but I will tell you this much. The young lady who plays Black woman, Batwoman, she is fine. <laughs> she is fine. Thank you, though. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's all I'll say about that. And I'm, I'm glad to see uh, Batwing, a.k.a. Blackwing, um, on the show. That's some <laughs> cool beans. However, just from the, the DC side and... It's weird that I, when I typed this up, I'm like, the two things I could care less about really were all kind of female-oriented driven. I'm like, am I changing in my older age? But it just, it just really looked like it, I have no interest. Like the Batgirl movie, I, I could care less about a Batgirl movie. I'm sorry. 
that's just one of those things where and, and the cast looks great. You know, the the two guys, the guys that are directing Batgirl are the same guys who did um, Bad Boys for Life. So I like what they can do with a movie. It's just as of right now, I have no interest whatsoever. Right. So and then the other one was the Catwoman animated movie. It's a very anime style. It just looked. I don't know. There was something about it that just didn't appeal to me. It looked too silly for what sort of what sort of tone they were trying to to have. And I just didn't. I didn't feel it. Oh, one good thing though, they did show concept art for Blue Beetle, which I'm excited for that when that comes out on HBO Max. So, but yeah, yeah those are like two things from the at least the anime side. They talked about Injustice and in that cartoon um, animated movie, which will probably be pretty decent. They have a lot of backstory to go on. They announced a lot of stuff, so it's hard to go wrong. And, and frankly, even like Batgirl and Catwoman, those are things I may not be excited for, but I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people that are. So they have something for everybody. In there. You know what's crazy? The thing I'm kind of like looking forward to that I didn't expect to look forward to, considering this is a DC property. Let, let me throw it to you like this. I'm not excited in the least for the Guardians of the Galaxy game that's coming. I, I don't know why. I've, I've just never really been a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, the, the the first movie was good. The second movie was meh. But the video game, I was like, uh, okay, I, I, I don't care too much about that. However, the, um, the Suicide Squad game that they previewed, yeah, like, great. okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Well, that <laughs> and the Gotham Knights game, especially since they revealed that's an uh, action RPG, I was like, oh, yeah. really? That and there's yeah. a whole court of owls backdrop. I'm like, okay, like both of those yeah. games sound very. The premise sounds very interesting. Now we'll see what gameplay is actually like um, once those games actually come out. But just the premise, the graphics. I mean, they look very promising. So I, I too am excited. Even going back to the Guardians game, that's one of those games where I'm interested in playing. It looks like it'll be interesting. I've watched a lot of. Uh, some reviews on beta gameplay and people's impressions and it's um it plays different but it plays like you think it should since you have a team of people uh the biggest gripe and i think the biggest gripe a lot of people have is that you can only play a star lord you can't play as anyone else and there's right. no plans and you know what though i think what happened with is um what square enix they saw the backlash with Marvel's The Avengers, which I, I talked about a couple of weeks ago because it was on Game Pass. And again... Yeah, that game was horrible. You, you know what? It's $20 now. At least it was then. So I would definitely recommend it at 20 bucks. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend I, it at full price. I wouldn't recommend it at all. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I wouldn't recommend it at all. That, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> but um, they there learned... There are things you could do with your gaming time to play that game. <laughs> Got you. Go on. Well, they, they say they learned from that to make a single-player experience for Guardians. So I, I've heard rather decent things about it and I'll play it eventually you know when I don't have to pay for it so I can actually try it out or hopefully they'll do a demo but the yeah. games that DC has shown off and think we are it's been a year since the last DC fandom so there are another year in development of both of these games so I am I think mm -hmm. both these games are slated for 2022 so next year this time they should be out if I remember correctly if not definitely yeah. 2023 yeah, and, and like I said, um, especially with what I saw from Suicide Squad, because again, it's a different take. They're being tasked to go after the Justice League, and I'm like, wow. And I mean, even looking at the trailers, and I mean, and I'm sure that what we saw was probably mostly cutscene. We haven't seen any gameplay, but just the premise alone, 
I'm interested in. I'm in, I'm interested to see where this goes. Uh, does it start leaning into some injustice territory, maybe, or even how about okay? Well, you know, like are they really going to kill the Justice League? <laughs> or, right. or, or or yeah, I have or, a hard time. We, right. Right. I have a hard I mean, time seeing them really doing it, and, and it looks like there's some sort of uh, mind control from Brainiac, so I'm pretty yeah. sure it's going to be some mechanic where you have to deactivate the mind control, and yeah, because come on now, yeah, but who knows? That especially, really especially Superman. Yeah, especially yeah. Superman. Yeah, good luck with that one. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so that's a, a I'll take on a, a virtual convention that happened. Harry, you traveled all the way to New York Comic Con a couple of weeks ago, um, and I, I I don't know about you, I haven't been to a con since before the pandemic. Actually, my last no, my last convention was BlurCon 2019, the last time I've been to a con. So yeah. I know you've been to a couple, but you know New York is one of the big ones it's to like go the to, pinnacle. right? Especially on the East Coast. So what was it like this year? Okay, well, actually, let me give you a little bit of backstory because um, I wasn't expecting to go this year. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Um, the last couple of times we've been to New York, we, we've gotten invited by New York because of what we did as far as the cosplay. Um, for anybody that remembers in uh, 20, I want to say it was 2017, we actually, um, we went. We uh, got invited to come up and do some pictures with Colin Gray. The pictures were then used uh, throughout the New York area on the subways to promote and advertise for New York. And, um, you know, we, we got invited uh, then, then we got invited the next year. And then I was like, okay, I need a break because my take on New York has always been you can go this year. And then you don't necessarily need to go for like another year or two because it, it's one of those cons that rarely ever changes its format. And it's not a bad thing. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad thing. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, you get used to it and, okay, I'm good. So we didn't go in 2019, and obviously there was no con in 2020. <laughs> but they hit us up again this year. Uh, they asked us to do a... Um, uh, 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 an interview and what we did was we talked about what it's like being a person of color and in cosplay and we got invited again so um going back this year is like okay this is the first time that new york's comic con has come about since covid and this is like maybe the first you know for for all intents and purposes for most of us the first big east coast Con or outside of Dragon Con because Dragon Con is its own thing. I can't even compare New York with Dragon Con, but this is like the first big con in New York since the pandemic struck, and it it was of course it was different for the simple fact that yeah you know you you got to go along with um, the restrictions. Now one thing about New York State, New York City, mostly. No matter where you go, if you're going inside, if you're going to a movie theater, you're going to a store, you're going to a venue, almost every place you go to, you will be asked to show your vaccination card, you know, proof of vaccination and an ID. They did not play. And when New York came along, knowing that, okay, we are going to a con where there's going to be thousands of people 
and the Javits Center. What are they going to do? Well, they had people pre-register. Like you can, you can use what they call Clear. There's an app called Clear where you can um, put your vaccination status on there and show it once you got there or when you got to the door, you showed the same thing, your ID, your vaccination card. Um, they give you like this green ribbon and you go on about your married business. Now, because, of course, this is New York Comic Con um, in the midst of the pandemic, um, one of the things that I was happy about with this year was just the simple fact that um, the crowds weren't crazy like they usually are. Because that's one of the things about New York Comic Con, especially on a Saturday, is it can get jam-packed quick, wall-to-wall people. And most of my friends who were there with me, you know, when we all talked about the experience, we looked at it like this, especially for those that were there all four days. They said, you know, Thursday was a small crowd. Friday felt Friday felt like a Thursday. Saturday felt like a Friday. And Sunday is Sunday. <laughs> Sunday was a crowd. And we, we're saying that in the terms of crowd size because, uh, you know, it was very easy. This, matter of fact, I can say this. This was probably the first time, especially for, for Gina, my other half, for us to be able to walk around from one side of the con floor to the other side of the con floor and see everything. And that's rare. That's rare, especially when we cosplay. And I tell people like this, if you cosplay, and I'm not even going to front, if you think you have a good cosplay, take at least a day to do New York Comic Con in regular clothes so that way you can see everything. Because when we see people that have excellent cosplay, you're going to get stopped. And and their chances are you might get stopped at a certain spot and you're there for like about a half an hour to an hour, maybe more, because everyone wants to take your photos. You know, oh my God, that's a great cosplay. Let me take your photo. Hey, can can I get my kid in? Hey, can I get it? Everybody wants to shoot your cosplay. So it was a good experience. And one of the things I can say from a cosplay standpoint, there was some good stuff there this year. Um, you know, there was a guy that built a, a carnage suit that had smoke coming out of it. It was like, you know, very well detailed. Um, there was a, there was a guy that uh, took a, a, a Mandalorian suit and matched it up with Captain um, America. It was Captain Mandalorian. Uh, there was a guy there that did um, Beta Ray Bill. There was so much stuff. Um it wasn't on the scale like it has been in years past because, again, you know, I guess the pandemic, you know, probably slowed down a lot of people. But I still overall had a good experience with it. Um, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't make it to many panels. I didn't. I don't think I made it to any panels because I was stuck doing stuff during the course of the day. But I enjoyed myself. The the bigger thing that I did like that they finally did change up on they expanded Artist Alley. Because the last time we went, Artist Alley was like stuck in, in this one section of the Javits Center. It was cramped. It was dark. It was hot. So they finally expanded that area, spread it out a lot more. Um, there, were, there were more ways to be able to see some of the um, artists that, that you wanted to see and meet and get materials and things of that sort. Then um, the last thing of it all, too, is... Um, and actually, this, this is this is kind of a complaint. And I'm noticing this from certain cons is, yes, I know there was a pandemic, but most of them trying to make their money back. But the prices for a lot of the autographs and photo ops are high. This go around. I'm trying to understand. 
how Hayden Christensen, who really hasn't done much since uh, Revenge of the Sith, and sure, he's going to be on the Obi-Wan show, but it's called Obi-Wan. It's not called Anakin. Anakin had his movie. How is it that for his autograph and his pictures, it was $175, yet still John Cena, who in my opinion is a whole hell of a lot more relevant than uh, Hayden Christensen, was 150 Now, side note that to saying the majority of the guests that were there, there were very few guests that were under the $100 mark. So... That was that was one of the other things that I looked at, and I was like, hmm, that to me was like, okay, a lot of these places are trying to make their money back from the money that they missed in 2020, and it's going to be really telling the next year or two what those prices are going to look like. Are they going to be still charging these prices because they know they can get away with charging them, or are we going to see some of these prices come back down to a little bit normal? As exactly, I was going to ask you, do you think this is a, a trend of what's maybe here to stay based on the fact that, okay, we were able to get away with this this year? What's, why are we going to decrease them? When the crowds come back, we can make even more money. And that's the thing I don't know. And that's the thing I'm afraid of because it's always one of those things where if we do this, somebody's going to be dumb enough to pay for it. Because I look at it like um, a couple of years ago, matter of fact, damn near 10 years ago now, when um, the last time I went to Wizard World in Philadelphia, matter of fact, no, we didn't go. This this was the, because it was at, it was the year after we went, they had almost all the showrunners from the Avengers. They had they had Chris Evans. They had Tom Hiddleston. They had um, Anthony Mackie. They had almost six of the Avengers. But the crazy part was how Wizard World had packaged it up. If you wanted to get a picture with all of them, $1,000. Without blinking an eye, $1,000. But if you wanted to do um, uh, Chris Helmsworth, then you want to get a picture, but you can't get it with with Tom Hilston. Like, But the whole Loki, Thor, what? it was weird how they did it. But yet, still, people went and paid for it. Well, but on the flip side, hold on, okay. hold on. On the flip side, remember, let, let's remember too. Wizard World started losing money because a lot of people got wind of that. Like, nah, we're not doing this. Because <laughs> remember, some of the Wizard World um, venues started closing down. That was the thing. A lot of them started closing down because they had to recoup somehow. So I'm saying all that to say I'm going to bring it back. What I'm going to be curious about is a lot of these venues that all of a sudden doubled and tripled their prices on some of their media guests. What happens next year is also going to predicate what happens the following time after that. Did they do it, get away with it, and make money? Did they do it, not quite get away with it, and lost money? And will some of their venues go down or will they have to restructure how some of those venues run? Last thing I'm going to say is the one thing I did notice, and now that you can go take a look, uh, Rhode Island Comic Con, which is coming up um, the week after Halloween, they got a ton of guests. And at the same time, while they have a ton of guests, the prices for the majority of those guests are reasonable. (laughs) So... What's going on? Right. Well, is Rhode Island Comic Con usually like a big draw? 
it's quiet as cat. It is. Okay. Because I've, I've, I've been invited like um, two or three different times, but it's literally every time I've been invited, I had something else I had to do and I could not make it. Got because you. the thing of what I got it, I got invited again this year. And see, the, no, the problem is the dude that keeps inviting me, he keeps waiting till the last minute, and I keep telling him, like, dude, you need to let me know two or three months ahead of time so I can plan it. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. Well, I, f- I find it interesting. I was going to say that I think the last time I went to Philly, I don't know if it was the last time you went, but I know I was. I wrote up with you guys. Um, that was the that same was year. We went. Okay, that was the same year they had all the captains there, right? And I know they were not charging a grand for a picture with all of them. I don't remember no, what it was. Matter of fact, it was it was about maybe four hundred dollars. Right? You think yeah, four hundred dollars is reasonable. I was thinking four to five hundred, and that that is very reasonable to get a picture with Janeway. I mean, that's every single captain from every Star Trek show up in the mm-hmm. point in time. So that's Discovery, like no. Was Picard there? No. Tom Pe- yeah. Peck? Yeah. 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 All of yeah. them. So you're talking about Next Generation, original series, uh, D Space Nine, uh, Enterprise, and Voyager. So you had five captains. And Shatner and um, Picard by themselves are 100 each. Right. Right. So that was, yeah, that was more than, like, again, I ain't, I ain't dropping a grip on nothing like that, personally speaking. But right. if you're doing that, that is a reasonable sort of ask for something for a once in a lifetime sort of picture, especially considering, you know, I have no idea what's going on with Avery Brooks. I'm assuming, you know, his health and everything have just really taken to him over the years. Cause mm-hmm. I think that was like one of the last times he was really on the con circuit, if I remember correctly. Right. So, you know, that's one of those pictures where you, you're not going to get that opportunity too many times. So I totally get why it was that much. But even then, it was reasonable considering what it was. Well, actually, here's the thing. It's not so much that anything's happened with his health. He actually teaches theater at Rutgers. Avery Brooks, yeah, Avery Brooks teaches um, um, theater over at Rutgers. He's, he's 70. Well, so, I, I know that. I just know that. And a lot of the documentaries that have come out after the years and maybe just my interpretation from my own history with the elderly, he he looked like he was not sick in a way like, oh, his health is failing. But yeah, he he looked like the age. And again, it wasn't that he was getting older, like his like his health was failing. That's like that's what he looked like. He, he was he lost. His weight well, quite was, a bit of weight. Yeah, quite a bit of weight. He looked frail, least in one. And again, some of this video I've seen are from years ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it was something that was going on then. But suffice to say, he's not on the concert now. You don't. Right. You, even, okay, I got you. Even in the Deep Space Nine documentary that they did last year, year before, Avery's not a part of that. So, and I found that very odd. Like, why wouldn't Avery be a part of this unless something is going on with him? I think something happened with himself, but they just never really made a big deal it, out of it. Exactly. You know? And that's what I thought. Like, it looked like it way back. Because I think I'm even going back to, like, the Captain special or document they did. And that's good 10, 15 years ago and some subsequent right. things after that. I could t- And again, that's because of my experience dealing with the elderly. Like, I. I pick up on certain things that maybe some people wouldn't because 
they don't have that experience. So I'm like, okay. So I just assumed, especially since nobody talks about it, nobody says right. anything, you know, they reference him, not even, even so much of past tense, you know, sort of aspects. It was like, I'm just like, okay. But something going on, we yeah. just don't know. Neither here nor there. My point is, that's an opportunity that you will never get again now. Yeah. And so I understand charging a certain amount, but they weren't charging a grand, which realistically they could have back then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so no, that was cool. It's interesting. I'm interesting, interested to see how things, quote unquote, bounce back next year with New York yeah. and just everything. Because I see, I see, it, it'd be interesting to see with everything with COVID, how things really go over next year. And right. if the vaccine mandate will still be in place by then, because I think honestly that, I mean, outside of the fact that personally, I'm not going to a lot of places like places like that because of, mm-hmm. of COVID. I don't care if you're vaccinated or not. It's just, you know, for me, I'm not in that position. I'm not going to go to that. But also, I'm sure a lot of people just didn't want to go through the hassle of um showing their their card or even getting the vaccine because, you know, there are people out there as well. So it'd be interesting when and if the world gets somewhat normal, I say somewhat normal, if the crowds will be back next year or even two years from now. And then, like you said, how will the prices really be reflected of that? Because I I can see people continuing to charge that, but then I'm like, okay, I can get more if I decrease a little bit more, but I'll make more in the back end. Right. Because one of the things that did change up for a lot of people too, with them charging those prices, it used to be when you would see the prices like that, then, okay, I'm going to call a couple of my friends and, you know, we all go in together because, you know, you do like, you know, three or four people in a, in a photo op or something like that. But that was out the door. They only allowed two and then they had partitions, you know? So, I mean, that's, definitely going to be telling of a lot of the pictures from cons that you're going to see is you're going to see like a lot of people with uh, celebrities and separated by a partition. One other thing I do want to quick make, make a quick mention of that. Um, I, I, I forgot is that one of the biggest changes from New York comic con this year was that, um, Marvel dark horse valiant, who usually have like a large presence at New York Comic Con because you, you, they usually have these large booths weren't there this year. So that was that was a big difference too because they usually have like a large booth and they always have stuff going on and they weren't there now. The thing of it is they didn't stop most of their uh, staff like you know most of their um, artists and writers from being there because of course they had their own tables and booths going on down at Artist Valley, but usually. You know, when you, when you go, that's like the thing you want to see. You want to see like the, the large Marvel booth. You want to see um, Valiant. You want to see Dark Horse because they they got stuff going on. Ubisoft, which usually has something going on, um, they didn't have um, a booth this year. But at the same time, they don't have any games releasing this year either. But at the same time, that's usually still never stopped um, Ubisoft from having something. So go figure. Right. Yeah, true. It's it's interesting um, as far as that note is concerned. Like I said, I just wonder, I wonder, you know, since we started off talking about DC fandom, how this big virtual push is going to shift the big publishers. Because even, you know, that's a conversation that we're having as far as E3 is concerned, we're having to switch to, to virtual 
our mm-hmm. public is publishers um, going to see the money they put out for these big conventions, for these big announcements? Are they going to get a return on investment compared to them doing something online and having that big pop? No, you don't have that big crowd sort of thing. But I'm I'm wondering if you're going to see less of that that big publisher presence at these conventions because you now have this the digital era that we're in and we were forced to go into because of COVID. Yeah, that's a good question because the thing of it is, it's like you kind of want to have these cons because it always gives fans opportunities to come out and meet creators and, and see folks that they ordinarily wouldn't see. And I think it would not benefit them if they was to take that away. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, just it's interesting to see how this plays out. It's it's such a interesting what if considering how drastically we as a world have to change how we operate um, from right. a from a life perspective and a business perspective in the past two years because of the pandemic and technology has advanced and and we are more comfortable with getting information from behind the screen rather than showing up in person and publishers are seeing, Hey, I don't have to spend this money, get the same amount of eyeballs on my product and get, build the hype. So we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think New York, considering it's New York probably won't see as big of a drop off compared to say a Baltimore or some of the, I say mid major cons uh, that we have in the area. Um, Going forward, because I'll, I'll see them being in New York, I'll see them being in San, Di- San Diego, and that's probably about it for a real. I mean, San Diego's they pushed there as far as um, geek entertainment is is unprecedented as far as who's there. But New York is is a, I wouldn't say a close second, but it's definitely second for the sort of uh, time, money, energy, and of course a lot of those businesses, at least before DC moved cross country, are based in New York or in the area anyway. So it's not as heavy of a lift for them to right. have a presence. Um, at New York Comic Con, but some of the smaller cons, the mid-majors, you know, like your Baltimore, um, I wouldn't even say the Wizard World, well, whatever they're called now since they sold, that you, we never really had a, a humongous uh, publisher presence at those either. Um, it was more of the, I wouldn't say independent cons, but again, like your Baltimore's and, and those sort of regional major cons, I'll say, that people went to uh, that you had a big publisher presence. You know, Marvel's always had a presence. You know, Boom was in Baltimore. has been in Baltimore. Same with uh, Valiant over the years. They've had pretty decent-sized booths for what that con was like. So it'd be interesting to see how that really affects those cons, maybe more so than the larger ones going forward. Well, what's going to be interesting is since New York is next week, um, the one thing I did hear from someone that works directly with the con, they told me that um, Baltimore is actually moving back into the old section of the convention center. They didn't get into why, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm speculative. Like, you know, what does that mean? You know, they're really shrinking it. Well, not necessarily shrinking it back down. I, I think, I think what I'm going to have to see for myself is by them going back to that old space, are they really like decompressing the con? Are they reutilizing old space? Is there some renovation or reconstruction going on with the convention center? Because that's been one of the biggest complaints about um, Baltimore Comic Con, as well as the convention center, as well as Otacon. Because remember, Otacon moved because they was like, well, 
you know, Baltimore's not really making any plans to um, update the facility. And um, I will say this, one of my biggest concerns last year when Baltimore Con was still on the books before they canceled, it was like, do I really want to go to the convention center? Even though at that particular time, they were using the convention center um, as a... um, as a site for um, COVID folk. So who yeah. knows? Right. Yeah, true. It'll be who interesting knows? to see next week. So, so yeah, I, I can get back to you on that um, next week. Okay. Sounds good. So that's our con talk with it. Now, before I jump into the fragrance of the week, Carrie, are there any fragrances that you're wearing or anything that's your go-to fragrance? Unfortunately, at this present time, no, because of uh, where I work, we're not allowed. <laughs> oh, I understand. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Okay. So if there is a, is there a fragrance that you go to, say you and Gina are going out for a night, what fragrance or is there any fragrance you'd automatically grab? Oh, what was it? Um, uh, the last one that I got that I really liked was this um, Tom Ford uh, tobacco and vanilla flavor. <sighs> Uh, that is that is funny. That is not the fragrance of the week, but I am going with Tom Ford. <laughs> uh, that that that's absolutely funny. Um, if you listened last week, ladies and gentlemen, you know you know that I'm on this discovery of Tom Ford. I've always heard very good things, and I, I have a friend right here who literally like that's what he go to at Tom Ford Tobacco and Vanilla. And I haven't smelled that yet, but I love vanilla. I love tobacco. That sounds like a, a great combination. But this week's fragrance... It sounds weird, but it smells good. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It, it sounds great. From having tobacco fragrances and vanilla, I definitely, definitely sound, it sounds good to me. So I'm going to have to try that out. But this week's fragrance is Black Orchid by Tom Ford. And this fragrance is classified as a floral oriental. So you're looking at top notes of tr- black truffle, bergamot, black currant and your lang lang so you have it's it's a really interesting top you have that earthiness of the black truffle that vibrancy the citrus of the bergamot and the currant but then you also have that sweet floor of the ylang ylang in that top note so you really get a good mix and you really get a good introduction as to how decadent this fragrance is and then you go down to the middle notes of your black orchid your lotus wood your floral notes and fruity notes and then your base of balsam, patchouli, sandalwood, vanilla, vetiver, and frankincense. Uh, this is very much, if you look at the notes, it's like a, a hodgepodge full of, of, of notes, but it is, it is, it's one of those ones that when I, I see the name black, I'm like, I'm not really in florals like that, but when you smell it, it, like, it smells oh, yeah. like, it smells like money. It is a, a great fall winter fragrance. It's very, it's heavy. Excuse me. It has has great projection. Um, it is it is one you can't go wrong with. It is a very good uh, date fragrance, in in my opinion. With that, especially, and I've said before, I'm a very a sucker for vanilla. But that opening really gets you. It is it is again such a decadent opening. Like you cannot spray and be like. Oh man, this like you're like, damn, this is good. Like as soon as you spray it, like you know how good it is. And then you get into florals and the fruitiness and with that with that little bit of citrus, that lotus wood in the middle, and then it really melts into that base, uh, especially a patchouli and a sandalwood and vanilla. And you have that that frankincense as well. Um it's such a a, a 
mix. I, I get more of the vanilla and sandalwood and frankincense. Not so much of a vetterer, but I kind of get that toward the back end. And for me, as it really dissipated, I smell more of the patchouli and the balsam. Uh, speaking of as it degrades, I'll say this is clearly a 10-hour fragrance. This is an EDP eau de parfum. Um, you know, really high concentration. You're going to get 10 hours with this. Easy. You're not going to have to spray a lot. And and now that you put that out there, you know, the the funny thing about that whole thing that you just said, you have to get all that right, especially patchouli, because patchouli on the wrong person, it does not play well. Exactly. It does not play well at all. Exactly. Exactly. It's one of the things I always say. Fragrances are intimate. And it really is about the person or body chemistry and everything. Just because something works on me, it doesn't mean it's going to work on you. So I would say, you know, if you're going out and these, at least right now, a lot of the time fours are, you're going to be able to find them in, in Ulta and other places like that. And you can able to actually try them out to do a spray on your skin to see how they work. Uh, try a fragrance out. Uh, if you can, there, there are, I want to say very few, but there are, they're a pretty good number of watch I say are going to smell good on everybody like your Dior Sauvages, which is why it's so popular. Uh, fragrances of that nature, a lot of your blue fragrances, uh, Blue de Chanel, fragrances like that pretty much are going to smell good on anybody. As once you start getting into a lot of these more complex fragrances with these notes, you're, you're really going to have to test them out to see how they work. And again, it's not that it's going to smell bad. It just not, may not work for you. And that's why I say that I don't think I've ever smelled a fragrance that I was like, I just, like, it smelled bad. Because mm-hmm. a fragrance, if you test it out on that strip, it can smell, and usually does smell totally different when you actually spray it on your skin. So there are a lot of fragrances right. that I smelled on the strip that I weren't too high on, but once I pr- sprayed them with my skin, and once they really mixed with my chemistry and my own sort of odor, and I got to smell it, break it down over the next couple hours, then I was able to really form an, an opinion as well. And also, a lot of fragrances, depending on how old the batch is, some fragrances take a while to macerate. There are fragrances that I have that I purchased that was smelled okay when I sprayed them, going back to them months later. And they work completely differently on my body just because the chemical process was still working inside of the body um, and right. inside of the bottle. So uh, in my opinion, Black Orchid, definitely try it out first. But I think this is definitely, it, it's so it's such a rich and heavy fragrance. I If this is what you're looking for, I don't think you can go wrong with this one. Okay. So definitely. That's it for our fragrance of the week. Now, Harry, where can they find you on the web? Okay. Um, if you're on Instagram, um, Bishop Cosplay is my cosplay Instagram. And um, then also, since I do photography, uh, they can find me at Eyes of H Photography. Um, let me spell that out. It's E-Y-E-S-O-F-H underscore photography. And then um, on Facebook, also Bishop Cosplay and Through the Eyes of H. And H on uh, Facebook is spelled A-I-T-C-H, phonetic spelling. So I'm not that hard to find. Um, so just, just come look me up. And I tell people if they have questions about photography, if they have questions about cosplay, um, ask and I'll do my best to answer. 
Thank you, man. Thank you. And I appreciate you joining us. Feel free to check him out on all his socials. And again, this has been another episode of the Sartorio and Geek podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I have been your host, Webster Style. Feel free to find us on the internet at WebsterStyle.com, on Instagram at Webster Style or at Sartorio and Geek, on Twitter at Webster Style. And feel free to drop us an email at info at WebsterStyleMagazine.com. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, be safe out there and stay Smoking hot, rocking this pen so thin. Tie hair line, looking like a skin so pimp. No lie, I'm sharper than the utensil. Instrumental, plain dang, homie. I was hoping we could walk out with that bang bang, honey. See them plain James, honey. Just them lame friends, honey. We tell it better, crazy like that thing came on me. Hey, mommy. Look a lady, main thing, want me on the scene. Fit popping like a main vein, running blood color, lips smashing with the hand. Clutch money, holding back, kinda funny. Can you tell me what's the price I got the range? Rover. Hang on me when we walking, looking Gucci like that thing sprayed on me. Walking with a lip like an ankle sprain on me. Yeah, I rock the cardigan. She don't really want me because no one man should have all that style. Take it out, clothes on the floor, passing. No one girl should fit it all in them jeans. So take it up and let me see what's under them scenes. No one man should have all that style. Oh, you want to say, oh, I completely read that wrong.